My name is Padraig Tuma, and I love poems of observation and memory and place. In the hands of a poet who's showing us landscape, often what we're seeing is what the poet sees. And what the poet sees is A, what's in front of them, but B, also what's behind or beneath all of the things that they're choosing to see. There's memory associated with that tree or that track. And by being brought into that, even though the poet isn't there, they are quietly there in their reminiscence, in their memory, and in their gathering and describing of a place they're seeing. Our episode of Poetry Unbound today is a conversation between myself and Jake Skeets, whose poem Daybreak we're going to be looking at. It's Jake's voice you'll hear reading the poem. I've been reading Jake's work for a number of years and have loved the work that he's put out and was thrilled that he was willing to come into a conversation. I was in Ireland, he was in the United States, and we recorded this conversation remotely. Daybreak. Abine Holzish. The low moon horizon turquoise serenes pinklets from the pulp and fray of world milkweed. Summer cypress turkey feathered struts stark pebbled through the sheep corral and shade house. Beneath the horse trough, star thistle and nined on grass reflect night storms and rainbow through the morning. The sun's rays darling through narrow shoots of cloud, vapor, or maybe morning fog. Hokado. Above a passing plane or marsh hawk, or maybe a crow, casts its wing on the sweet yellow clover and fieldweed, on the rubble of rust tin can and car axle and wheelbarrow, a basketball backboard crafted from sheet metal and piping, the ground crickets beneath moths telling a story as butterflies. They flail and flare through two-needle pinion and ryegrass. Cottontails squirrel into the culvert under the main road now wash-like, parched, its flow sands really memory for water. Salsify and velvet weed overtop a broken fence, its twine slats and barbed wire cloaked by dusked sod. Dirt road mud walls tumbleweed, and maybe sunflowers, bow-pulled, arc by the metal windmill, watering faint wind. The mill echoes awake with each rock thrown at its face, back, or the bend of its opened arms. Be and leje da'iya. Clouds drop their shoulders into rain, into the choral evening, into the evening's evening.
these poems are, you know, being composed and designed and written here on the reservation where I currently live. So I'm back home this time. So maybe that's the the things that I see, right? I've been thinking a lot about my childhood home and reflecting and visiting often because I'm so close and just really looking at the memories I have there and studying them and finding out new things about image. Yeah. I'm, I'm captivated by what I'm seeing, but also I'm in your hands as you're sharing what it is that you know, um, doing this in, in a way that's just, um, it's not even a list. It, it does feel like a symphony or a praise song for what you can see. Thank you so much. And yeah, I do believe that the images here are acting in unison to create this really three-dimensional view of, of where I grew up and the different type of plants that are mentioned are really the result of a lot of research, actually, of going through different reports and, and studies that have been happening here on the reservation, specifically around where I grew up and really identifying some of those plants that I grew up with. Are there um, particular favorite plants that you have today when you're reading the poem just now? Mm-hmm. So the salsify, I think, are mm-hmm. really gorgeous. And I have some of them here in Salie, where I currently live. And they grow like about three, four feet high. So they're about, you know, late, like thigh height to me or hip height to me. And they almost look like gigantic dandelions. Uh-huh. Um, so I have a lot of them here and they're really hard to get rid of. So once <laughs> they grow, they're kind of there. Yeah, good thing you like them then. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but we have two right outside our front door here in Salie. <laughs> Lovely. I, I'd love to talk to you about Diné language because um, particularly in this poem, there's there's phrases that you use, titles perhaps, and certainly in the third piece there is a um, a phrase within the body of the poem. Could you talk a little bit about that? And I'd like to talk too about your study and speaking of Diné language. Yeah, definitely. I feel like... The poem for me has always been about translation, actually. The phrases I use in Diné were phrases that I've been thinking a lot about recently in terms of just a simple kind of Diné. Because I'm not a fluent speaker, I don't have Navajo as a first language. And so I'm going through the process of really interrogating learning Diné through textbooks and some of the phrases they use and the definitions they use, right? They're kind of very one-sided or very linear. Mm. And so I'm very much interested in the project of translation where Diné is translated into what it actually is trying to say, right? So for example, in that first phrase, kind of means simply it's morning, but what is the morning, right? What encompasses morning? And I feel like Diné has a lot more to offer. And so you have to use extra words in English to get to its point. And that's where the images and layering of images really come from. So the second phrase is the afternoon time. It's kind of just saying it's afternoon now. And the last is saying it's evening. And these are sort of incomplete sentences. They wouldn't be considered a complete sentence. You'd have to sort of talk about, you know, the subject, who's speaking, how many people are speaking and situated in a context. But I really like the idea of Diné existing outside of that space and just existing as a language, as a phrase, as a, 
as a poetic being. Yeah, a fragment as well. And, and mm-hmm. how about that phrase that you have in the second last line of the final piece? That's a phrase I found in a textbook. It just means deer are eating over there. For me, my upbringing in internet has always been about drills, right? So learning from textbooks, learning alphabets and the letters specifically without conversation. And so right now I'm dipping my toes into conversational Navajo. As a young person, when I was younger, I should say, I definitely felt a lot of shame in not knowing my language. But then I began to realize that I don't know the language because it was something that was taken from me and taken from a lot of our communities. And so often that sort of victim blaming, right? Where were the victims in this, in this sense? And why should I feel ashamed for something being robbed or taken from me? Yeah, that's a real taking of a soul. It's an old technology of colonization is to take the soul of a people as well as um, the technologies of practicalities, but the the soul robbing of it in the first instance mm-hmm. is, an ex- is an extraordinary violence. Hmm. That's a nice way of putting it. You're absolutely right. I feel like not only that, but in addition, English as a language, right, has always been transactional, right, rooted in an idea of capital. And so not only does it take away something inherent like soul, it also reintroduces something manufactured like product. Huh. And so today... I'm a teacher here in Lee, so I teach my students, you know, English composition and rhetoric. And I always remind them that the rhetoric I'm teaching is foreign, that it's transactional, that it's rooted in dominance and destruction rather than communication. Going back to the poem, I'm so interested that there seems to be um, an absence of a speaker. I mean, of course, there is a speaker and a seer because, you know, I'm reading or hearing the poem, but there isn't a a person being narrated into it. That was the project for this poem specifically was about speaker and how can I use Diné and English and uh, a poem where the speaker is not really there. That was the question I had is, how can I write a piece without the speaker? And did you just set that for yourself or was it part of a project with other people? I'm curious where that writing prompt came from. It was more so a constraint that I put on myself. Um, this this poem was initially a part of a project with Joy Harjo and sort of mapping these indigenous poets throughout the yeah. country here in the United States. And I wanted one where there was a different look of what it means to decenter yourself when you're talking about where you come from. And this was my way or attempt of doing that, at least. And what does it mean for you to decenter the self within the context of a poem? And why is that an important thing to do as a, an act of um, almost recalibration about what it means to be present in the earth? For me, I think it's giving land that exists around us space to breathe, basically. Often when we hear about the rhetoric of land, specifically through things like climate change and the end of the world, it's always the end of us, not necessarily the end of beings and living things around us. It's always, oh, well, the human race is ending, therefore the entire world is ending. When I think really it's it's about continuance and, and really giving space to the land around us to just exist on its own without us at its center. 
you speak too in another one of your essays about radical remembering. Uh, I'd be curious to hear you share a little bit about that and what that means. It, it feels like a, a, an artistic point of view when it comes to questions to do with how you write, but also uh, an ethical stance about what it means to be present in the world today. Hmm. When we remember things, we are breaking down time. Of course, in a linear sense, that doesn't make sense. But when we start to really engage with time and memory, we remember things from our past and our present to help shape our futures. And I think for me, that's breaking down time. It's creating a time loop of some kind. And for me, that's a radical act to take control of linearity, to take control of systems that have been sort of forced upon us and so that we can sort of begin to slightly reimagine at least our own way of going about our daily existence. Daybreak by Jake Skeets Abine Holzish the low moon horizon turquoise serenes pinklets from the pulp and fray of world milkweed. Summer cypress turkey feathered struts stark pebbled through the sheep corral and shade house. Beneath the horse trough, star thistle and nined on grass reflect night storms and rainbow through the morning. The sun's rays darling through narrow shoots of cloud, vapor, or maybe morning fog. Hokado. Above a passing plain or marsh hawk, or maybe a crow, casts its wing on the sweet yellow clover and field weed, on the rubble of rust tin can and car axle and wheelbarrow, a basketball backboard crafted from sheet metal and piping, the ground crickets beneath moths telling a story as butterflies. They flail and flare through two-needle pinion and ryegrass. Cottontails squirrel into the culvert under the main road, now wash-like, parched, its flow sands really memory for water. Salsify and velvet weed overtop a broken fence, its twine slats and barbed wire cloaked by dusked sod. Dirt road mud walls, tumbleweed, and maybe sunflowers, bow-pulled, arc by the metal windmill, watering faint wind. The mill echoes awake with each rock thrown at its face, back, or the bend of its opened arms. Be in lege clouds drop their shoulders into rain, into the coral evening, 
into the evening's evening. to Jake Skeets for sharing his reflections on his poem, Daybreak, from the book Living Nations, Living Words, edited by Joy Harjo. Read the poem on our website at onbeing.org. Poetry Unbound is Gotham Shrikishan, Aaron Kalasako, Eddie Gonzalez, Lillian Vo, and me, Chris Hegel. Our music is composed and provided by Gotham Shrikishan and Blue Dot Sessions. This podcast is produced by On Being Studios, which is located on Dakota land. We also produce other podcasts you might enjoy, like On Being with Krista Tippett, Becoming Wise, and This Movie Changed Me. Find those wherever you like to listen, or visit us at onbeing.org to find out more. This podcast is produced by On Being Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota.